This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Anif Baharudin. You're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. After being dormant for one and a half years due to the pandemic, the Little Demon Lane that stuck right in the heart of Petaling Street is now back with a vengeance, opening its doors again to visitors who would like to experience the juxtaposition of the old and the new in our city. Kwai Chai Hong is now raring to go again, but what was it like for the folks at Bai Chuan Management, the custodian of that queen little alley when they had to close their doors temporarily? Xin Chang, co-founder and managing partner of Bai Chuan Management, joins me for a catch-up. Oh, um, let's just say nobody expects things to be this different. Um, but I think it's it's already uh, going to be, you know, two years, coming to two years, I think, or maybe one and a half year, the last we spoke. So the new norm has kind of already sunk into the norm norm. Um, and Bai Jai Hong so far um, has been doing okay. Yeah, I mean, we're really blessed. We're really lucky. Crowds are still coming. We're managing SOP a lot more differently. But yeah, things has been good. Our tenants are all happy. There are audiences. I think locals, uh, people are looking for things to to look forward to, to be more positive and you know look for places to go. Um, I'm glad Guai Hong is one of those locations. Okay, so I guess we have to talk about one way or another the the past two years. But prior to that, I think even even before before yeah the pandemic happened, um, you were on an upward trajectory, right? So one way or another, um, so like yeah, what was that like? I think prior to prior to the pandemic, like how how were things like you know before that? Okay, so before pandemic, when you spoke to me in August, we were definitely on an up upward momentum. Maybe because there was no no days too low because we just started uh, as a nobody right so august when we spoke to you um, we were getting quite a bit of attention from the public um, and it was getting more and more positive uh, in terms of the reaction from people and by i'd say by the end of um, uh, 20 by uh, by mid 2020 we were already labeled as one of the most instagrammable spot in kuala lumpur that alone brought a lot of uh, young people uh, back to KL Chinatown, and that was the main aim. We wanted to make sure that there is a new generation of people because KL Chinatown was getting a lot of, maybe um, the much more older generation kind of keep coming back, but what we need to do is to make sure that, you know, that there are these new bunch of people that will come back and give this space a chance. So for us, um, as we learn more from the community, from the public, what is working, what does not work, um, we found that if you sincerely put up some things that will let them celebrate, whether the culture or the tradition, um, and also the heritage of the space, a lot of them come back for the grams, uh, for the photos, for the videos. Um, and that's what kind of make things work at Kwai Tai Hong. Yeah, I find that quite interesting because I I think um you made references to the community there, right? And I think um in our last conversation, um you did say that they were pretty welcoming. But at the same time, you know, one thing the people to go to Petaling Street is one thing, but going to your area is another thing, right? So do these I guess visitors, apart from I guess visiting uh Kwai Chai Hong, do they also explore the older quote unquote uh Petaling Street as well? So um it's interesting that you asked this question because um we recently, especially when um, things are getting a little better and a lot of people are writing about how um, things are, I guess, moving 
um, a little better in terms of the pandemic and people are more daring already. They are able to come out. Um, we saw, you know, the people in Patalian Street saying that um, the audiences or the traffic from Kuai Tai Hong is actually going to uh, Pataling Street and they are very happy to see that. You know, when we read something like that, it really makes us, um, I guess, very humble, you know, because the intention has always been we want to bring people back to KL Chinatown. But when you hear the people in KL Chinatown, like the people in Pataling Street say, that the audience from uh, the traffic from Kuai Hong is coming over to, spilling over to the other parts of Pataling Street. That's actually quite, um, uh, I'd say, humbling, humbling and very blessed. Because we, when we hear something like that, we say, oh, we, we were thinking otherwise. We were hoping that, you know, there were more people coming back to the whole of uh, KL Chinatown. But when people say that it is the Kuai Hong audience or traffic that's going to Pataling Street, that's that's quite a happy thing. And And the fact that, a lot of this mushrooming of cafes and um, resto bars is just just all around Kuai Tai Hong, which is which used to be a much more quiet part of uh, KL Chinatown. So, if the whole of Pataling Street, we look at it, um, the part where Kuai uh, Tai Hong is is usually the more quiet part because there were a lot of wholesale markets and they were really not targeted to uh, retailers per se, or, or should I say, the consumers per se. Um, now it's very different. The crowd is is coming from this side. They come to Pataling Street for this to come to this area at Kuai Hong. So that's that's why it's very very humbling, and we can only say, um, yeah, we, we didn't expect this, obviously, but we are we're really happy with the result, lah. Mm. Um, I mean, as much as it sounds positive, um, was there any form of I guess clashes one way or another between the more romantic, the more traditional folks who perhaps are attached to the older identity of Pataling Street compared to the more, I guess, modern uh, identity where, you know, you have a lot of these cafes which might not necessarily fit the old identity of Pataling Street. Uh, okay, so I guess when it comes to gentrification, there's always both sides of, um, two sides of the sword, right? Because I think there will be in everything you do, whether gentrification or not, there will always be like a, like a 10-20% of people who may not like the change or they may not agree with the things that you are doing and I'm I don't think whatever we do will be like a hundred percent supported by every single person at least especially when we started there was still like a 50-50 chance of people just uh, not agreeing with what we do and in fact till now of course there will be some older generation of people who does not want change like they really do not want too much traffic they do not want uh, things to change but the dilapidated state of what Chijongkai is looking or what at least Kuai Tai Hong was looking is not going to help any one of them or uh, those people who live there. So um, I would say um, if I could please 80% of the people, at least 80% of people agreeing to it, I think I've, I think we've done okay. Um, and I, I, I'm just making an assumption here. I believe there's more than 80% of people who like what's being done. It, it does increase the real estate pricing of the area. So it does kind of move some of the old folks or the, the old businesses out um, because that means they weren't able to continue, you know, uh, very low rent or, or businesses there in terms of, um, you know, their wholesale market. Because when things are booming and everybody is renting the space at a higher price, then they do, they do lose out. But I think that's part of, you know, gentrification now. You do want to make that space attracting more people. More people will come back, give this heritage a space a chance. And if you've seen the photos of how it was before, I think I've showed that to you guys uh, 2019. 
there's still a lot of reference to it. You can watch them online or on our Facebook. Um, you would see the before and you probably won't want to come to this space if you have seen the before. Mm, all right. Okay. So let's talk about the pandemic. Yeah. Um, how did Kwai Chai Hong cope with that? Okay. Pandemic. Pandemic mm. was 2020, I think March. March or so. March, or right? April. Yeah. yeah, March. Mm. Um, you know what's the main um, concern we have, really? It's for the tenants that were um, connected to Kwai Chai Hong. So we have 10 tenants altogether and all of them were F&B. Uh, so when, when the pandemic happened, the only thing, the only one concern we had was how are they going to do? Because the thing about Kwai Tai Hong, uh, especially the back alley, you would notice that we've constantly or I should say consistently made it free. That means people come in for free. So we don't actually earn any profit or make any money from there. It is for the tenant. We make this space, uh, people will come back and then tenants will have traffic and it's like a, you know, um, a vicious cycle, right? So when people and traffic comes, the tenants do well, the area do well, and then everything booms. Then what happens when people cannot come out and then the tenants won't be able to do well and then how are they going to pay rent? So at least for the first three, four months, um, when everybody is just trying so hard to cope with the pandemic when I say trying to cope with you if you remember how it was in March April we just didn't know what to do we just sat home I mean all of us were sitting home just waiting for instructions or waiting for directions or what needs to be done um, a lot of them uh, like the tenants they still needed to they have costs they have salary that they have to pay but there was no way of people buying there was very little effort about doing delivery there was very people were still not entirely on delivery platform for food, right? So tenants were, were totally um, taken off guard and they couldn't cope. And we could only do one thing and that's to give discount. And for the first month, um, I think the month of, the first three months, in fact, we've given one month of free rent. Then we try to give half a month off because we realized that we have cost to run as well. Um, and then generally it was, you know, between... 30% off or half rent or, you know, in some good months, we, when we could, we would be totally free. Um, so that's what we could do. But it cannot be a long run thing because you can't survive with that because we have uh, costs and overheads ourselves. Um, but generally with those assistance, which is like the 50% off, the 30% off, and then you went some months 100% off, um, they survived. Um, out of the 10 tenants we have, um, two didn't make it, um, replaced very quickly by two new brands or two new uh, FMB, um, and they are doing, they are striving, they are doing really well. So, so if you ask me how did pandemic do, um, when it first hit us, some of our tenants suffered and they had to go. Um, the rest kind of hung on, you know, grit their teeth and hung on. And I'd say for now, I can see they're all doing very well. I mean, you're talking about weekends, um, they have to turn people away because it's fully booked. Uh, so, so far, touch wood, um, things are okay at uh, Gwai Te Hong in terms of uh, how we're doing. How about the back alley? Uh, about the back alley, we had to close during the pandemic most, um, I think, six months. We have closed, we've closed close to six months. Um, and that's because we were labeled as a tourism location. So, we weren't even sure which rule to follow. You know, do we follow the the retail rule and close like the retail people, 
Do we follow the rule of the the tourism, the locations, or you know, we weren't really sure what to follow. Uh, we eventually end up following the tourism guidelines because we were getting quite a number of tourists, and people kind of always label us as a, a tourist location. Um, so there was a period of time, even um, end of last year, mid to the end of last year, where tourism uh, industry cannot open or locations from the tourism industry cannot open. We just remain closed. Lah. But that was, uh, tenants were doing okay already. Um, they were all doing delivery and they were all picking up um, their own style of how to run business during the pandemic. So so I'd say generally, we are really lucky because the moment um, we opened in September last year, we reopened, there were already crowds coming. Yeah. So um, what did the experience of going through the pandemic, um, what, what did it teach you in terms of, um, I guess, perhaps, you know, having maybe a, a, a plan to somehow deal with this, considering that, I guess, to a certain extent, we're not out of the woods yet. So yeah, you know, did it teach you anything else beyond just uh, whatever you learned during that period? So when the pandemic happened, to be fair, I don't, I don't think anyone was ready for something this big or this major. Um, so did we all learn something? I think the main thing any one of us would learn is how important digital is. To be fair, um, if there was no ability to run your business involving any parts of digital, it was really difficult because you know, even a tourism location like us, right? Um, if we didn't have good social media connections, if we didn't have good digital connection with people, you were literally not touchable and not reachable. And that was one of the things we learned um, and all our tenants learned the importance of being able to still do business, but not there physically. So everyone's coming up with their own plans on how to do packages online. Um, you know, we can't do Chinese New Year at one year. That's how can we celebrate Chinese New Year without, you know, being physically there? How can they still um, run businesses uh, doing certain uh, celebrations or certain activities without physically there? So then, you know, everyone is just re really, really learning very hard how to make use of, how to ex expand their business digitally. Um, so that's one thing that everybody kind of just say, okay, if we don't do this, we're not going to be able to survive. Um, and that's the same for Goitehong as well. Uh, we we have always, I mean, day one, we've started off doing a lot of social media stuff. We've started doing a lot of uh, online communication with people. Um, but it wasn't something that we say, oh, this is it. You know, if, if we want to succeed, it has to be only this and this alone. Um, but when the pandemic hit, that was almost like it. it was if you're not good and you're not prepared for this, you're just going to have to let someone else take over. Um, and that's really the learning, how digital suddenly became a huge part of sustainability and uh, survival, less about profitability or expansion. It is just you want to sustain, you want to survive, then you have to learn this digital business. Did you try and at least, um, I guess, maintain a strong social media presence throughout the pandemic? Beyond just, I guess, you know, posting on social media, do you, you know, follow the trend of, I guess, doing like virtual tours or having talks on Zoom or things like that? Okay, um, we did a lot less of all these live activities uh, also because um, I think if I want to do anything live, um, I, I, I should... I should be there at Kwai Tai Hong, <laughs> which I was not. And I, and we couldn't all move because we're all, all five partners. There are only five of us working on this. And the five partners are all from pretty distant locations away from 
that 10 kilometer, if you remember, that was the requirement. So all of us kind of just stayed put uh, at our location. Um, but what we did was we, we've pulled out things that we've posted before, um, really like, you know, activities that we did for Chinese New Year, activities that we did for mid-autumn, and we showed it to people like, you know, we're missing you guys. Uh, this was, this is just like a memory replay uh, from then, and we can't wait to see you guys. And what, what happened was a lot of audience were almost um, nostalgic. Well, I can't say nostalgic because only one year old, right? But they were being um, reminded of how it used to be and they're all going, oh, you know, we, we really look forward to be, be uh, at Guai Tehong again. Um, in less than, and, and you're talking about Guai Tehong being less than three years old. And we have been labeled as, you know, when it's Chinese New and Mid-Autumn, this is the place you have to go. It's um it's a uh, funny um and of course very uh, I guess I use the word humble again and very blessed again, um for people to say that being only three years old or less, you've only done maybe you know a total of three uh, mid autumn activities, and maybe two Chinese New Year. I haven't even done my third Chinese New Year. Now I'm doing the third Chinese New Year. Um, that that's only that few um activity that we've done for mid autumn and Chinese New Year, and yet. People will say during mid autumn and Chinese New Year. When I say people, I mean the fans that come to us and say, "You have to go to Guai Tehong. If not, you know, you haven't seen the the real do of uh, Chinese New Year and mid autumn." And those are the things that we, I believe, online have have done well or okay with our fans or followers. Um, and those, you know, those three months that we are not open, people were following us on those kind of content. And we replay the murals. Some of us, some of them may have forgotten that the murals were telling a story. So we had some murals uh, or images of murals and content of murals put up. And then people would write to us and say, oh, you know, they didn't even realize that the QR code there was an uncle talking to you. So, I mean, those are the fun stuff. And we keep kind of communicating or connecting with our audience um, just, just so that they remember when it's better, when things are better, when we're open, you can, re, you can return. And they did. And now it's returning with a vengeance, which, you know, cues on the cues at the gate, which we have to control the crowd. Lah. That was Zin Chang, co-founder and managing partner of Bai Chuan Management, the custodian of Kwai Chai Hong, a private alley between Lorong Panggong and Jalan Petaling. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me in this episode is Zin Chang. She's the co-founder and managing partner of Pai Chuan Management, the custodian of the highly famous Kuai Chai Hong, a private alley in Chi Chong Kai or Petaling Street. We've been talking about how they've been coping with the multiple lockdowns in the past two years. Now that they have reopened, how are they managing the visitors that are now flocking to the alley again? The numbers are increasing because <laughs> you just have to look at the queue because it gets longer. <laughs> That's how we define whether the numbers are increasing. But also we, we do gauge our QR code that people scan. Um, so we know for a fact that the numbers are increasing in terms of uh, the audience, especially on the weekends, um, the queue can get pretty long. But, you know, with the SOP in place, we try not to be greedy. Uh. It's not about how many people we can fit into the back alley, but... 
a lot of people will come and say, hey, you know, I, I don't I don't want to be very close to everybody else. But if you allow too many people in, then I may be social distancing, but somebody beside me may not. So we try to, even though we could easily fit 50, 60 people, we are now going by the number of 35 maximum, then we kind of stop. So there's still a lot of space in there when um, when we manage the capacity. Um, but, you know, five come out, five go in. That's, that's how we kind of manage that. Lah. So far... So far, I would say a lot of people go in and say, hey, still got a lot of space, so why you don't let us enter? But that's the point. Um, it's because being a narrow alley, uh, when you're taking photos, you know, people back up and then they'll be close to you and then you might you might not like the, the distance that they are at. So we keep it to even lesser than what the minimum capacity is. Uh. Mm, right. And one way or another, they have to somehow deal with it, right? They, they, are, are the people happy, you know, with, with the arrangement? Um, you know, some would be grumpy at the gate, but I always say this life, you're not happy. I can't help you because I know it's, it's a terrible thing to think this way, but you know, we continue to do this space for the people, for the community, for the public. And yet we don't charge. We don't, we don't make money out of, you know, the back alley. You, you keep putting the effort and the money to do up this space. Um, and then if anybody were to come in and complain about, you know, you make me wait so, so long at the gate, then. I would then end up saying, then you might want to go somewhere else and then come back. If they say, oh, I, know, I don't want to wait anymore, then I'll say, I'm, then I'm sorry. Like, then you, you don't have to come. Lo. Because I think what's what's happening is there's always um, people feeling entitled about things that are given to them or, or produced for them. And and this is one of the, I mean, these are one of those um, attitudes that we cannot address and I don't think we want to address. Um, some people feeling that, you know, um, you do up this space, I am entitled to come in and, and when I come in I don't want to queue then then I'd say then go to somewhere else who who is able to attend to you with your kind of uh, requirements because for us everyone's equal we have uh, camera crews coming we have tv crews coming we have people coming in for shoot they are equal to a public person standing out there waiting to come in as well equal um, which is how we we try to um, make this alley uh, be like if it's an alley that is open for the community Everyone is equal, unless of course there is pre-arrangements. There were bookings made, um, and you are coming in to close this entire alley for a shoot. Then sure, you know, then you have the right to do certain things that we agree upon. But if everybody comes at the same time and everybody has to wait, there's nobody one person more important than the other. Um, so everyone's equal. That's just the way we we do our stuff, lah. All right. Okay. And speaking of fee, um, yes, so far Kwajahong is free. You don't have to pay any like entrance fee or you know tickets or whatnot. Um, are you planning to continue that, or is that something that has to be revised somewhere down the line? Okay, so uh, you know, media's will always ask, "Oh, is this a philanthropic uh, activity or is it a charity that you guys are doing?" Uh, it's not. So you, the next question most people will ask is, "Where are you going to find money to sustain something like that?" Truth is, the ten shop lots that are connected to the back alley belongs to uh, our company as well. The same company who's managing the back alley so we take a percentage of the profit from the rental that we collect from these 10 shop lots and put it back into the back alley so that there is there is us giving it back to the community or giving it back to the public and i think that's that's how i the team uh, the baichuan company all of us is hoping to um to see people do you know when when you are able to make money out of this space, you make money to uh, making money out of real estate of this location. Um, it's it's. I think it's. It would be fair to say we should put a certain percentage back to 
back to the community and back to the space. Um, that's why I think um, we won the Placemaker Award last year in 2021. Um, when we were told that we won the Placemaker ASEAN Award, it was uh, for the NGO category. It was a uh, quite a, I'd say, unexpected win because we we were like I see two two and a half years old, right? We haven't done another space before. We're not experienced in terms of placemaking, um, but we we kind of led with a bit of a heart. So when the placemaker people were asking us, you know, you know, how sustainable would this project be and how do you, you know, maintain the street when you don't actually make money out of it? Because you've opened the, the doors for free for people to come in and we have to prove them the case that it is sustainable and here's what we do. We take the profit from the shops and we plow it back to the back alley so that people can enjoy. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle, yeah? Um, when people come, you have traffic, your tenants have business, they will flourish, you will have your rental and then it goes on. Um, and this whole thing about beautifying the space outside of you, like you have a shop lot, you have your street, but, you know, beautify beyond that area. And, you know, if there's some things that can be fixed or need to be fixed, you don't wait for someone else to do it. You don't wait for, oh, you know, this is this is DBKL's road, so DBKL fixes. I, I think some things, if you can, and it's really just an extension of your space, then just do it. Like if you look at Lorong Panggung today, um, it is a DBKL road. Um, but together with DBKL, and they have been super, super supportive with some of the things we do, um, we've put up lanterns, our own um, effort, our own funding. We source for certain things, we put it up, and then we work with DBKL to say, hey, you know, we're going to put up some lanterns on the Lorong Panggung. You guys okay? We send the um, you know request for approval, and, and now you're seeing the whole of Lorong Panggung all red, decked up with uh, lanterns that is done by Kwai Chai Hong. So it's... um. If everybody has a bit of that in terms of running their business, I think it can be quite a beautiful thing yeah, than to spend every single dollar just looking at internal um, decorations or internal uh, improvement. Hmm, okay. Um, there's that and you also mentioned the word placemaking earlier, right? So despite not having, I guess, uh, a formal background in it, you seem to be doing well. Uh, so what are your perhaps tips for people out there who would like to attempt something similar to you? And yeah, speaking of, you know, having that same attitude perhaps, you know, in, in trying to also take certain form of ownership and responsibility to the area that you're in, is that something that it's, I guess, easily replicable? Do you have people coming up to you saying that, I want to do the same thing as well, or I want to also have that same sense of ownership towards not just you know the shop that I'm managing but also the area surrounding it right so it's interesting that you ask this question because I think um, uh, one of the one of the things we realize uh, we have been asked to do or we have been invited to go into certain talks and conferences um, to talk about place making and how how can other people who are currently maybe striving or intending to to do up a location, what are the things that they need to do? And we're just, we're not, we're not, um, um, I'd say, uh, educated in placemaking, but I could share my experience and that's what we do. We keep sharing our experience. And one of the main thing, the main experience I would say is if you lead with your heart first, your pocket after, some things just fall into place. When I, and when I say heart first, if you do it for the sake of the people, and the, the, the community and the space, a lot of things come back in return in terms of monetary gains. Um, for instance, 
doing up Koi Tai Hong for the sake of people coming back, um, you know, for the sake of getting more young generation to say, hey, you know, there's there's a bigger part of KL Chinatown that we should explore and not just always look forward to some other country's KL Chinatown or or, or travel outside. You know, there are a lot of things within even the Kuala Lumpur background or Kuala Lumpur backyard uh, that you can enjoy. Um, and then with that kind of uh, interest, that kind of traffic coming in, the businesses do well, the community do better, and then the entire, um, I guess, the economy of the area becomes enhanced as well. And that's what I tell people uh, when they come to us and say, you know, what are the, the tips and tricks or what are the things that we must do and I say it has to start with the heart. It's, it sounds almost like a commercial to say this, but really think for the people, think for the society, think for the location. Don't just go in a location and say, I'm going to do this, um, you know, tear this whole thing down and build it up again. Um, maybe it does not work that way. Maybe people like the quaintness. Maybe people like, like our space. It's, it's a, it's a hundred plus year old heritage location. And it's wonderful to see people like, how it was, um, I guess, the heritage location is maintained as opposed to, you know, building something new or tearing it down or, or, or you know, giving it a total facelift that, you know, no, no connection to the past. So that's what we tell people. First, respect the space, respect what you want to do to the space. You lead with that heart um, and then things kind of will fall into place. Lah. Mm, all right. Okay, fantastic. So, um what are your hopes for the future, considering the circumstances that we're in right now? Um, yeah, as much as, you know, we're recovering, there's always that next worry. Um, are you hopeful that, you know, this year, considering that, yeah, I'm speaking in, in I guess, um, before Chinese New Year, in January, uh, at the start of the year, do you feel optimistic that, you know, things will, you know, be better this year? I, I believe so. I mean, we are a super positive bunch. Um, and I, I think... You know, even in the last installation we did for mid-autumn, we've kind of educated people or at least uh, tried to send a message that, you know, we should always look at the positive side of things and don't don't be all gloomy and, and you know, wish for negative by repeating the negativity. So um, so that's why from a quite home standpoint, I believe that there is always hope. It may not come instantly. Uh, we shouldn't let our guards down just because we think positively. I mean, there's a difference between being totally naive and, and uh, blindly going in and doing stupid things, right? Versus, you know, put a lot more uh, caution in terms of what, what you do. Um, practice your SOPs, of course, but um, it's not, we're not out of the woods yet, right? We, we're, still, we're still being careful, but we're more intelligent already and we're definitely more experienced in how we handle. You know, people are getting vaccinated and they should. Um, I, we advocate that. Um, and I think, I think we could do a lot more because... People are getting, I guess, more wise in terms of how they deal with the pandemic. And it may be this being one pandemic. You know, we don't know what's coming next. It may not be COVID. Um, but the thing is, it's always something new that we are we are looking at addressing. Um, but if we do it together with a lot of, um, I guess, uh, you know, unlike some maybe Malaysians to me are much more... Um, uh, obliging. I mean, they, they do follow rules better. Uh, so I, I think that's something that works for us. Lah. Um, if if something bad were to happen and there was someone leading the way um, with better instruction and better leadership, I think we're all going to be okay. 
Alright, okay. So, um, what's next uh, in terms of, I guess, your upcoming projects? Uh, I understand that there's one um, related to Chinese New Year, right? Yes, so we're up uh, for the Year of the Tiger. Um, so in Kuai Tai Hong, you know, same thing. We've always talked about one, there must be a way for us to share the culture of the Chinese uh, tradition. Um, and then two is to make sure that, you know, people walk away learning uh, something either about the heritage, the history, um, and about cl- uh, inclusivity. So so what we did this time for the Year of the Tiger, instead of just decking it up with the Year of the Tiger, with all the tiger uh, uh, symbols, we worked with Alice, which is an artist, a uh, popular artist, Alice Chang. Uh, so she's done a tiger sculpture for us. Uh, and this tiger sculpture is uh, has a mama tiger, a papa tiger, and a cub, a baby tiger. Um, the idea is the tiger sculpture will be on sale. Um, in fact, it is on sale right now. Um, and the entire price uh, sold for this tiger will be donated to WWF Malaysia. The idea was behind um, the saving of the Malayan tigers because after learning that the Malayan tigers are now critically endangered and when I say critically endangered, last record was less than 200 left in Malaysia. Um, it is important that we, Malaysians particularly, we should all take part in doing something than just saying something. And that's the other thing that Kuai Tung always tend to do. Lah. We don't wait. We don't just move our mouth and wait for someone to do. Let's just do it. And then if everybody else participate in it, then we initiated it. It's a good thing. So the Year of the Tiger is more for saving our Malayan tigers than just a pure celebration. So that's the first thing you would see when you go to Kuai Tai Hong, which is the sculpture by Alice Chang. The next thing you will see is an installation by Odd. Odd is an, a new artist that we have worked with um, doing an installation called Stretch Out using Lycra fabric. And in that, it's a collaboration of the traditional Chinese paper cut and together with the um, avant-garde kind of lycra material installation. So when you go there, you will literally see traditional Chinese paper cut printer onto lycra material and installed uh, flying around Kuai Tai Hong's, I guess the sky of Kuai Tai Hong because it's all running around from the tying from the trees to the buildings and whatnot. So this both of these installations really to celebrate the Chinese culture. So there's the Chinese paper cut and then of course to save the Malayan tiger as a messaging for the tiger year. Um, so far, we've just only launched it on Thursday. It's already kind of hit the media. Um, we've got coverage, like endless coverage from KOLs, from the media, from the mainstream. Um, we're on, on news um, and, and the, the weekend we had crowd queuing and unhappy people saying they waited too long but you know, it comes part and parcel of what we do every time we do installation. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Zin Chang, co-founder and managing partner of Pai Chuan Management, the body responsible for taking care of Kuai Chai Hong, a small but popular private alley in Petaling Street. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week only on PFM 89.9, The Business Station.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.